This is the Things We Do podcast, a podcast about film life, television, culture, mental health, and all that fun, jazzy stuff. Today, I've got my special guest and friend all the way in Melbourne, Rhiannon Langeberg. Hello. Hello. <laughs> I have to really think about how to say your last name, and I will admit that, because the, the Dutch infliction in it, you have to, you don't read it like that. No, no. You, you read it as Langberg. I think it would just became Australianized. I'm sure over in Holland, it would be pronounced something like Langberg or something. Right, okay, like but Langberg. over the years in Australia, yeah. um, we've got that little schwa in the middle of it now. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's very, it's very posh. Um, it would, so, it, wait, have you got a middle name? Yes, so it's Sean, but it's spelled S-J-A-A-N. Another Dutch. Oh, wow. Yeah. Because Rhiannon is very, like, Anglo-Saxon. Yeah, so that's my Welsh side. Yeah. Right. <laughs> God. <laughs> everything. Every, so, backtracking, your dad's um, your dad's Dutch, your mum is... Welsh, yeah. Right. So, does she have the thick kind of Welsh accent? No, because she moved to Australia when she was quite young, about eight years old. Right. Um, but she doesn't have an Australian accent, um, but she certainly doesn't have a Welsh one either. Yeah. Because you're like, you're right down the middle. You're kind of like this, you, you, because the first conversation I, I had with you, I thought, oh, really ochre Australian. Mm-hmm. But the more I listen to you, the less I hear that and more I kind of hear Australian mixed with Dutch, mixed with Welsh, kind of like this hybrid, doesn't <laughs> know where it sits, but yeah. not quite transatlantic. Yeah, yeah. Um, Because growing up um, here, does that throw people off when they sort of hear you speak, like not knowing where to entirely place you? Yeah, um, I get it quite a lot when people ask me where I'm from. Um, And yeah, it's it's always a difficult question for me because both my parents were in the army, so I moved a lot. So it's also got, my accent comes from a lot of different places in Australia as well. Right. You know, so it's not just the Welsh and the Dutch side, it's also all the different yeah. Intonations of the different states. Because, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I definitely don't hear your accent and go, oh, that's really a Melbourne, mm-hmm. a Melbourneite accent. It's, it's uh, you know, it, it, it sounds a little bit like Brisbane, Northern Territory, kind of a mixture <laughs> of, you know, certain parts of Adelaide and mm-hmm. certain parts of rural New South Wales um, and a little bit of Perth in there. Um, but you kind of have the, uh, the eloquence of someone who's grown up in the city and and can like speak with every syllable out there and then also the the i guess the the accent of someone who is quite broadly traveled <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah definitely yeah cuz i think that's the biggest thing where we naturally listen to accents especially when like um like i grew up in australia my entire life so i have a very much a um but i watch a lot of english television growing up mm-hmm. so a lot of the things that are thrown around me was oh you're very english sounding mm. and I was like, I'm not English though. I'm born here, grew up here. So it was kind of one of the things that I faced as a kid. And now as an adult, I still kind of listen to people's accents. And I think like the, if you've grown up in a certain area your entire life and you've kind of watched a lot of, you know, we're sort of like a product of our surroundings. Mm-hmm. So we kind of take in everything, as you say. And I think the more television you watch as a kid, the more your accent is kind of like, influenced by how you know like i think it was until the age of 10 i couldn't say the word um i used to say the word can't oh yeah like i can't do something um instead of i can't do something so it was like you know just all these intonations of different ways of pronouncing things and um yeah like i think i think that's very prominent when we sort of like grow up with um by you know like um sort of different um parents from different backgrounds as well 
Um, because you, you, are you an only child? No, no, I'm one of five. Wow, you're... <laughs> Your parents had the time to travel uh, with five children. They didn't really have a choice in the army. You just get told where to go. And yeah, you just I know. Go. Yeah, so like, are you the middle child? Or no, the eldest? second eldest. Yeah, so I've got four brothers. Four brothers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. Luck of the draw, really. Yeah. Were you hoping for more, more sisters? No, or? I loved growing up with just boys. Yeah, because I'm very much a tomboy myself. So yeah, yeah no issues for me. <laughs> I mean, the interesting thing is like. Um, I think what strikes me about you as well, because um, a lot of the people who don't know, know you on the internet will give a bit of a backstory. Normally I get everyone to sort of like talk about themselves, uh, but you, you're you kind of like this um, aloof kind of character on the internet as well, because mm-hmm. you're kind of very into stunt coordination and stunt training, mm-hmm. but also an actor. But you don't also like the thing you say tomboy, but you don't look like a tomboy. Oh, thank goodness. <laughs> I've seen you in films where I'm like, oh, I wouldn't put you as a tomboy. How do you, how do you see yourself as an actor? And I guess on the, on the, you know, the worlds of an internet. Oh, that's a hard one. I mean, um, like I grew up as a tomboy, like I was always shirt, shorts and a hat always throughout my entire childhood. And it wasn't until I'd finished school where I was actually like, oh, I should explore, you know. Girl clothes. (laughs) You know what I mean? Yeah. (laughs) I was like, I should probably, you know, go into that realm. Um, But very much in the acting world, I'm kind of like your plain Jane, your girl next door sort of thing. Yeah, I'm definitely not like lead, beautiful, gorgeous. You know what I mean? I'm happy like being that side character, the support character, um, yeah, the the grassroots sort of characters. Yeah, I think that's kind of like what strikes me about you as well. Because I wouldn't, I I think like interesting. You're such a chameleon. You are like this kind of strange chameleon in in what you do. Um, and I look at you when I, when I I think I discovered you probably about four or five years ago. It was kind of like you popped in on my radar. Um, cause I was still like in the early stages of finding my feet in this industry. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was like kind of just browsing the, the, every platform to find mutual people who kind of like, you know, had similar interests and stuff like that. I remember you popped up on my profile. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, it's just kind of interesting because yeah, you've always kind of presented, uh, as this kind of action kind of person or this kind of like. Um, and I think I've ever seen you in one particularly role that I think would deem very girly, Mm -hmm. kind of everything else is kind of very steered far away from that. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Girly is not my comfort zone. Yeah. (laughs) Like when I get given a a audition sign, it says flirting. I'm like, oh my God. Oh my God. (laughs) I'm like, I don't know how to do that. Wow. Your your husband's probably like, yep. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Like uh, I think, you know, are you one of those people who is very oblivious to flirting? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah. Because, <laughs> like, you know, my next question would be then, how did your husband succeed? <laughs> just, just persistence, really, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> no, we used to both um, work at um, Woolworths together. I was a checkout chick and he used to work in the produce section. And what happened was, because produce could go on their break whenever they wanted to, but I didn't have a choice. I got told when to go and that's when I would go. But to get to the break room, I had to walk past the produce section. And so he would see me going to the break room and then he'd take his break at the same time. 
<laughs> Smooth. How how long how long were you two working together before you started dating? Um, not that long actually. Yeah, it was kind of one of those strange things that he never actually asked me out. We just started hanging out and never stopped, sort of thing. That sounds that sounds official. Like, did he? Did you just suddenly get married without like really talking about it? Was that one discussed? <laughs> Well, that one he had to actually ask. Yeah, because I would have felt like, you know, it's like, oh, I guess, you know, just the ceremony happened without the blue. <laughs> just in the middle know. of the night, he just slips the ring on my finger and he's like, yeah. I'm married now. <laughs> yeah, it's like, this is a thing. Don't mind about this. Um, <laughs> I mean, that's that's extraordinary that you've, you know, because like when did, because you traveled around so much, did when did acting become a thing for you? Because that must have been such a very hard thing. Yeah. Um, acting was never on my radar at all when I was a kid. Mm. Um, I hated doing anything to do with drama. I hated having to get up and do those presentations from the class. Um, I was good at it, but I hated it. I hated it so much. Um, it was just something I kind of fell into really quite accidentally. Um, it was, I'd finished school and like I'd done all the academic subjects and I was like, I don't know what to do. I didn't want to go to uni. Um, and I was just sitting down watching my favorite film, Miss Congeniality. And my mum walked past and she goes, you could do that. And it just kind of like this little light bulb moment in my head. I was like, I think I'm going to give that a go. Mm. Yeah. You've been doing it for a few years now. Yeah. I started studying when I was 19, did my first acting degree. Mm. Um, and then probably in the last... Or five or six years started to really actually start pushing it as a career. Mm. Does it feel to you now, especially because like the Australian industry and stuff like that, do you, do you feel like you and your husband would move or do you think you kind of love the Australian industry here and kind of, you know, what it has to offer? Yeah. Um, I love it now. Um, and what changed my perspective was when I went overseas to Vancouver and I studied at Vancouver film school. And then I realized how much I loved Australia. Mm. I mean, I love Vancouver. It's like my second home, but it just, it just came to light how much I really want to work as an Australian in Australia. Yeah. Um, and so that's kind of like where my passion is. I mean, I'm never going to knock back a job. If a job appears in another country, more than happy to go there, but I'm not chasing them in other countries. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a very hard, like game to be like, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to drop everything and leave for yeah. another country. And then, you know, like. It's, it's very, but also like, you know, I think the pandemic and everything has really changed a lot of what, um, you know, films come here now, mm -hmm. uh, to film. And so uh, Australians, we don't have to really move. No, we don't. Which is, which is kind of nuts that we can do that with, with sort of like the ability now to stay in our own countries and, and film locally. And then it'd be sort of produced by other, other countries, um, in the, in the long run. I mean... I think though the the perspective now is like you know as an adult um you know what, your realistic goals for acting like are they very much like your own ideas or like are they like how does how does acting work for you now because I feel like everyone's in this stage in Australia where it's like um driven by passion driven by financial driven by like artistic um direction what what drives you to kind of kind of pursue it now well, at the moment, it's very much creating my own work because I guess with any new actor, when you start out, you work in a lot of things that are not very good. <laughs> <laughs> that was the politest way you could have said that, yes. yeah. 
Um, and so it's kind of one of those things now, if I'm going to invest time and invest money, I want to know that the things I'm working in are, is quality, quality stuff. And mm. the only way I can guarantee that is if I create my own stuff and set it to the standards that I want. Yeah. Because <laughs> as an actor, you don't really get a say in the final product. You, yeah. I had to do a job and you know what I mean? So, um... Yeah, I, at this moment, I'm very much into kind of like pushing my own stuff. I think that's really interesting as well because I do agree with that where you kind of like we're in this little limbo of um, making making films where it's like I want it to be of a, of a quality up here versus like down here where it's like below substandard. Um, and I, I, I sort of like feel like the very, the very least um, – it's the quality of output. Mm -hmm. It's the quality of output. Like you're constantly trying to prove to people that your quality of output's quite good. Um, do you do you feel like that's a battle for you to kind of prove to people now, or do you feel it's like easier to prove to people your your quality of work ethics or work work experience? I guess I should say. Yeah, I think there's still part of me um, that feels I need to prove to people. I mean, it's not not so much not as strong as it used to be. Um, but it's just one of those things where I just feel um, if I produce my own work at a certain quality, then when I get offered jobs, it's going to be at least to that quality or higher. It's yeah. never, you know what I mean? Like this is the quality you expect from me and that's what I expect from others as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, like, do you, do you kind of worry about what kind of, I guess, like experiences or stuff like that because I know like the the industry now is we're really pushing towards like different diverse female roles and and different like roles in terms of everything but you know did you ever for a period of time worry about what kind of roles or have experiences where people offered you roles that you were just kind of like mm. um kind of I mean especially in like starting out and you do a lot of student films um mm. and it's always really frustrating which is why I don't do student films anymore, um, is when, like, you get given the script and you're like, oh, this is okay, you know, and then you rock up on set and you can just tell that they're there just to tick boxes and just get the assignment done and they don't care about the product. And you've invested all this time and effort into giving them the best that you possibly can and... It's like, because I remember this one time I had to do this crying scene, um, like my character was um, contemplating suicide. And so, you know, I was just quiet to myself, just trying to get ready for that scene. And it was just like, they just, then the crew started jumping in front of the camera and making silly jokes right before action was called. And I was just like... It, it was just, it was strange. And yeah. they wanted me to just read the lines because it was meant to be a dialogue. And they're like, oh, you just say your lines and then I'll get the other actors to say their lines and then we'll just cut them in. And I'm like, so no one's going to read me the other lines at all. To <laughs> It was just frustrating. And then, yeah, they were just like, yeah, we just need to get it done. God, I could never, I could never imagine that uh, happening on anything. <laughs> like... I get, I definitely from students. Absolutely, that's kind of. <laughs> I feel like that student one hundred and one. Yeah. <laughs> is is not do that. Like, did you like leave that? Because how many days of filming was that? 
Uh, just two days. Okay. Yeah, that's generally about the length of student yeah. films. Yeah, thankfully. I know. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, I mean, like, the quality, you know, I feel like as you get older, whether your gig is paid or whether it's an unpaid gig, like, you've got to have this sort of sense of quality where it's not feeling like a student film. You've got to have the time and effort um, put in. And I've definitely worked with people, even now, um, who kind of feel a little bit more like their skill set isn't where it should be. Um, I basically... <laughs> sounds really harsh but i base everyone on a skill set of like where i think they should be and 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 i i think it's like don't un, don't over promise and under deliver mm-hmm. I, I you know under promise and over deliver is kind yeah. of a better like because then you're sh- showing off basically and you're like actually i did all this um and i think that that is something that it's like having worked with mostly like People who are, you know, starting out or people who are very experienced, I feel like the people who are very experienced, um, you know, especially with actors as well, like some, you know, some of my really good friends have been doing it for like 50 years or like 40 years and you can tell who's had more experience and, and who's just used to the sets. But the, the, the people who I love being on set are always willing to take a challenge and really show that they can excel in a challenge. Because when people don't excel and they go, oh, I've got this really good script and like the script's amazing, but then they under deliver on what it is. I'm like, then I don't really kind of go, this is good. Like you've got an okay product. Mm -hmm. Like it's not the best. It's not the worst, but don't be like, it's amazing. And the best thing since, you know, (laughs) ever. And I'm like, it's not. Um, (laughs) I guess the thing is like, don't overkid yourself. Mm -hmm. and that's very hard to tell students because, you know, you don't want to crush their ego. You don't want to like kill their spirit. But I feel like it's also important because there are just some, you can always tell when a product has not been really thought heavily about. Mm-hmm. Um, and it really shows down to, the, you know, like, you know, the edit or the, the, you know, like when an edit's not great or the, the sound design isn't great. Um, you know, I always say that sound is like 90% of a film and then 10% is visual because um, you can forgive a lot of bad cameras as long as the sound is like schmick. Um, and yeah, I've definitely, I've definitely watched like, you know, like, and this is the thing I said to anyone, you know, it it comes down to the um, the directing and the, and the stuff like that because you anyone can be a great actor as long as the direction is clear and concise yes. and you know as a human being what you're meant to be doing, mm-hmm. um, which, you know, like do you feel like people, you know, and this is my biased opinion, but do you feel like people are very bad at directing or knowing what they want when they make a film? Uh, I mean, I've had terrible directors and I've had fantastic ones and the good actors, uh, the good directors, are usually the ones who are actors first or think from an actor's perspective. Yeah. Um. You know, so they'll give you like actionable things to do rather than a big storyline, and then you're like, yeah, but what do you want me to do? Yeah. <laughs> do I stand here or do I move? Mm-hmm. Um. I mean, do you also like? I know some actors think that more lines is the best. Are you one of those people who thinks? 
you you know are, are in between where you like sometimes it's great to have many lines and sometimes it's not um it depends i mean i don't like characters that have no lines so <laughs> no <that's, laughs> i definitely say that um that's called being an extra <laughs> yeah that's right exactly <laughs> some people don't get it but you know i'm like no if it's, it's if it's got no lines it's not an actor's job <laughs> it's someone else yeah 100 <laughs> percent um it depends on what the lines are and how they serve the story. The the character can have minimal lines, but as long as there's a great, bigger purpose for them in the story, I don't mind having smaller lines. It doesn't bother me. Yeah. Yeah, because, I mean, like, I definitely know that I find lines sometimes for – it depends because if you're writing something like, you know, expositionary, mm-hmm. sometimes less is more. Um, and I feel like sometimes you watch, like, it's, it's most common in, like, you know, horror or sci-fi or, or fantasy and stuff that characters need to really set up the world. So they kind of, like, have these big expositions of how things work and how the law works. Mm-hmm. Um, and it doesn't feel realistic. Like, you're not sitting there going, anyone would say this. It's like, no, they're saying this so you don't get lost within this story. Um, but... I do think that some sometimes, like you know, some lines you just kind of end up repeating yourself, and and that's something that I always love. Like I work, I work with a lot of actors who are fantastic, and they kind of flag things mm-hmm. with me, and like especially with scripts I've written, they've just gone, oh, "I've said that already," mm. so that line becomes, you know nonsensical like why would I repeat what I've already said and it's like actually that's a fair point why would you so you kind of ref- I, th- I feel like the whole filmmaking aspect and a lot of students don't know this but you kind of learn from your, your cast because mm-hmm. your cast have done like they're inhabiting the characters so you're kind of pulling information of how um they say stuff like I know some people you know make scripts like verbatim like you don't deviate from the dialogue or anything like that, but I I've never directed in that style where I think people should be verbatim. I think that you know generally once you get the gist of a character, mm-hmm. um, sometimes the best improvisation or just moments on the day tend to be the the funniest because then you kind of get this weird characteristic, um, of people interacting and and having fun with a scene like are you the same where you kind of love a bit of both where you take some you know certain scenes very like verbatim and then you kind of play with others yeah I mean for me because I study linguistics I'm very much about the language yeah um and I love dialogue and I love language and I love pulling it apart and so for me I always try to find a reason why the character is saying that and when dialogue is repeated I'm like why what's so important about this that it needs to be repeated? If there isn't a greater purpose, that's when I might bring it up. Um, but for the most part, I try to honour what the writer has written. But at the same time, um, if something's not quite working, I'll just like change a word or two and just see if it gets pulled up. If it doesn't, then I just keep going with what <laughs> I did, you know? <laughs> I think my favourite thing was when I was still like learning to write scripts, I wrote clock as in cloak. I kept misspelling clock <laughs> as cloak. And one of my friends actually pulled it up to me and he was like, so is, are they wearing a cloak or are they, is there a clock? Because I'm, I'm very confused. And I was like, this is the best because this is stuff that you need to know where you've got, you need people to proofread your stuff. Because yeah. a lot of the time um, you write a draft and you go through drafts and you go through like the process of writing and, and, and storytelling 
it's it's a it's a battle. It's a battle, and I think one of the things that I love, especially about like um, the biggest script that I, I ever worked on was a few years ago, um, and it was great. I was co-writing it with a friend. I was um, it di- it didn't get made, but it was one of those things where we were reading it, and every time we read it. We were like, okay, well, now these characters are saying too much. Now they're saying too little. And it was finding that right medium where a lot of the dialogue didn't become um, explanatory. It was just about saying things that weren't actually the what you meant on the surface level, Mm -hmm. but they had hidden subtext underneath. It was all about what they weren't Mm -hmm. saying. And I thought, like, we found this nice happy medium. Um, after and it, and it took us about like seventeen drafts to do. I think we changed the ending at least five times to kind of make half of it make sense. Um, but I do think that you know it's you know the thing that you learn about your early stage of career is. Um, and I remember this from my HSC video, uh, which is online. <laughs> Everyone can go look at eighteen-year-old me like acting in this film, twelve years old. But I remember the one of the things was. There were so I look back in the script and I go, there's so many things I would have done differently. Mm-hmm. Like I would have I would have made the the dialogue less obtuse. I would have made it much more subtle. Um, and I probably would have directed it entirely differently. Mm-hmm. But um, because it was my HSC drama thing and I wanted to just like I didn't have the budget nor did I actually have any like I had a camera and that was it. Didn't have sound <laughs> equipment, didn't have anything. So it's kind of this dodgy handheld cam thing but I think it was interesting because I I made a very simple script that worked and I remember watching another friend of mine who made a very much more complicated abstract script and it kind of I don't know if it ever, he ever finished it but it was kind of it was much more complicated because of the whole abstract nature and he had he made it a, a, like probably a bit too complicated for markers mm-hmm. to look at and be like this is a natural like story because there were so many characters and it was meant to be this perspective of people finding a coin and this coin having its own little sort of exe- um adventure through people's different hands but i think it was because it was 7 minutes of too many storylines mm. it didn't quite feel like a whole it just kind of felt like lots of different things happening and you're not sure of the the bigger picture of it all. Mm-hmm. Um, but, it, you know, like these are, these are early student <laughs> films. Like they're the learning curve. Yeah. Because, um, like, I, I, think, I think for, you know, like what's the, as an actor as well, like um, like what would you consider some big downsides of being an actor? What would you consider the, oh, I, you know, I wouldn't want to do that or like, you know, like, oh, that's the worst part about being an actor. Oh, commercial auditions. I hate <laughs> commercial auditions. <laughs> I mean, that's where the money is, but I hate them. I never know what I'm doing in them. I always feel like an idiot. <laughs> I'm just like, mm. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, that's one of the biggest downsides for me anyway as an actor. And I guess it's more um, not too much like with the acting stuff. It's just being an actor in society is really strange when people ask you what you do and you say you're an actor and the reactions you get from that are usually not positive. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, that would be one of the major downsides, I think, for me being an actor is that that you always get that response and half the time I don't say I'm an actor anymore. What do you say you are? Whatever job I'm working at that (laughs) time or I just say I'm a uni student or something else, yeah. I mean, do you... (laughs) 
because you do people not consider it a re- like i know naturally people don't consider like arts a real job mm-hmm. like it's not considered a viable option um and like do you, what do your parents think of it oh my parents were so on board i mean i didn't know that they would be at the time when because when my mum mentioned that thing about oh you could do that um it took me a year before I went to mum and dad and said, I want to do acting. Yeah. <laughs> like it took me a year to actually pluck up the courage to say that's what I wanted to do because I've been such an academic student before then and it was always thought that I'd go to university. Yeah. Um, and when I told my mum and dad, they just said about time. <laughs> that's That was it. <laughs> Great support. Because where, yeah. where are they based at the moment? Are they, are they in Melbourne or are they live elsewhere at the moment? So they live out in Traugan, so in Victoria still, yeah. Are they sort of semi-retired now from the army? or? Yeah, yeah. So my mum, after she had a third kid, she couldn't continue on in the army anymore. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, my dad's retired from the army, yeah. Right. Yeah, three kids kind of I feel like is a cap. Yeah. Of how, because I mean, like, I don't know how much maternity leave they have, but you, you're probably starting to kind of hit a threshold. Yeah, yeah. Mum was given the ultimatum when she found out she was pregnant the third time, because obviously the medical doctors um, at the army found out through a pregnancy, through the blood test, um, and they actually gave her the option. They said, well, you have to either get rid of the baby or quit. Wow. Yeah. So my brother, Gareth, he's called the rookie baby because he like, <laughs> yeah, he shook things up. Mum was like, fine, see you later. I mean, yeah, it shows to, it shows that your mum loves you all mm-hmm. and, you know, and that's the positivity that she was like, I'm always going to have kids. Yeah. Um, are you very maternal? Are you, are you planning to have kids one day or are you very much like? <laughs> oh, hard hitting question. Um, um, I love, I love kids and I'm really good with kids. I just don't want my own kids. Um, so it's kind of one of those things that my husband and I discuss back and forth and I'm sure we'll be having conversations for a while. Um, but I'm not a complete no to kids. It's just carrying them myself. I don't want to do. Yeah. So I'm open to things like adoption or fostering. Um, but at this point in time, I just, I don't feel this desire to actually be pregnant. (laughs) (laughs) Look, I don't blame you. And, and look, I'll ask you the hard hitting questions all the time. (laughs) I didn't say this podcast would be easy for you. It does come with warnings. (laughs) Yeah, it does. Um, but yeah, like I, I think that's very true. It's, you know, because um, you know, fostering, fostering's great as well. There's a lot of like options there, but also adopting, um, because yeah, why? Well, it's not for everyone. I think that's sort of like a question you get asked when you're in your late twenties or your early thirties is like, when are you gonna have kids? Like, when's that? You know, because do, do you kind of feel like everyone's still like? Did you get that from an early age as an um? As a person, like, did you go, everyone has this expectation of you having children? Yeah, it's kind of one of those things of what my perspective is of other people's expectations. So whether or not they actually had these expectations, I just felt they had them. But being the only girl in my family, I felt very much like it was expected of me to have kids. Mm. Um, And although mum and dad have said several times, you know, there's never any pressure sometimes, I still feel like they're still expecting me to have my own kids. Um, (laughs) But again, that could just be my perspective. Um, But yeah, like especially when I got married, like questions, like the very first, after you get married, straight away when you're having kids from everyone. Yeah, that that I feel like, um, you know, 
it's kind of the thing of my brother, you know, is a kind of in his you know mid thirties now. He's thirty five, and I don't think he's going to have kids until he was probably about thirty seven. But I remember, like, you know, the same thing happened when we were both like in our twenties, and he was kind of in long term relationships and everything, and my mum would always be like, when are you going to have kids? When are you going to like start having kids? And the same thing happened to me. Like, it was just like, oh, so when are you going to have children? You know, these Mm -hmm. are the books I'm saving for the grandkids. Like it was all like kind of like expectation of my mum wanting grandchildren. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I remember having this conversation was like, oh, I maybe don't want kids. Like I was like mid twenties. I was like, I don't know if I want kids. Um, And she was very much like, what do you mean? <laughs> what do you mean you might not want kids? And I'm like, I don't know. It could be a thing. And she was like, but but why? The horror. <laughs> I know. And it's like, I don't know. It's I always find it very funny because, yeah, we live in a, you know, I, obviously there's a lot of expectations as well um, for women to have children and, you know, you've, you've got your biological no, clock ticking. I know, ticking it's ticking and, away. Know, <laughs> But, I mean, like, did you have more friends who were concerned that you weren't having kids? Not really. No, it's more just, like, strangers. You know, when, you know, I used to work out, obviously, like, at Woolworths as a checkout and they find out you're married, then they're like, when are you going to have kids? And especially because the town we lived in, everyone knows my husband. Right. Um, <laughs> you can't go down the street without someone yelling out. Um and, you know, they'd be like, oh, you and Charlie, you'd have such beautiful babies and when that's going to happen and it's just, yeah, yeah, strangers, believe it or not, yeah. Wow. <laughs> I mean, like, you know, you talk about your relationship with um, with Charlie as like with this very aloof kind of relationship. You don't know if you started dating, like when that <laughs> actually happened. It just kind of happened. Um, but, like, how did the, did marriage always seem on the table for you? Was that something you always set out to get married? Well, I didn't ever set out to get married, but I kind of knew um, after the first year of being with Charlie, I was like, if he ever proposes, I'm going to say yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, cause, cause what kind of character is he? Is he very much like similar to you or is he very different? Um, I think he'd be similar to me. I mean, he's kind of your, and you'll hate me for saying this, um, but he's kind of that strong, silent type. Ah. And so we're both quite introverted, but I like introverts because they listen and they see things that I feel extroverts sometimes miss. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, for me, it fits really well. Yeah. I mean, like, I, I can definitely see the introvert in you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like, hide away. No <laughs> yeah. one see me, please. Which is really ironic for an actor. I know. I get that all the time as well. Yeah. Um, but like, it's, it's the, look, I'm an introvert and I host a podcast. So it's the irony there is like extraordinary as well. But, um, no, I can see the introverted nature in you. Do you like, what's your ideal kind of introverted lifestyle? What would you do if you had like a day to yourself? Oh, I love sitting at cafes and reading or doing study. Like that's my favorite place to go to, which is weird for some people that I enjoy studying, but I love it. I love sitting in a cafe and studying something. Yeah, because you talked about linguistics. So were you doing that at the moment as a degree? Yeah, yeah. So I finished a bachelor. It ended up being a Bachelor of Arts, which had um, a major in linguistics and minor in French and psychology. And so then I I loved doing the linguistic unit. So I went on to do, I'm now currently doing my Masters of Applied Linguistics um, at UNE. And then I'm doing a second degree over at Monash, which is family violence prevention. 
and hoping that through how I view language that I can find some way of helping in the family violence field, yeah. um, whether that's, you know, changing the way policies are written so they're more inclusive and they're not putting blame on the victims all the time, you know, that sort of thing. What, what, what was your reason to kind of like help out with that? Um, um, I guess I've known people sort of in that situation who've been there before and um, the difficulties they face in the justice system of being able to get help when they need it in a timely manner, um, you know, and for their kids as well is always difficult because children are often, um, they don't have a voice in these matters. Yeah. I mean, like that. That's, so you so is the aim for young children or like just in general people? Just kind of in general. I just wanted to try and find some way of what can I do with what I know to make some small difference. Yeah. So I'm still not sure what that is and I'm still trying to find my feet, but I just thought, well, this is kind of like a worthy area to look at and explore in relation to the language that's used. I think that's incredible. Like, um, but very sort of different from linguistics as well. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> like you've got linguistics over here and then you've got like, um, you know, v domestic violence victims and, you know, and like over there. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like two very different separate fields. Um, but I do agree with you also about the justice system. I don't think they kind of like are very good with victims um, of domestic violence. I think that still like, um, you know, I have a lot of issues with just kind of the way um, Australia is regulated in terms of, um, you know, uh, we, we're better than America, mm -hmm. a lot yes. better in, in some regards. Like we actually have a mental health system and everything. And I'm a big advocate for like people who are, you know, ex, um, ex military, ex like, you know, um, who've, you know, obviously been in wars and stuff to go and, you know, get, um, therapy and everything. Cause in the States that tends to just be under, you know, ignored. And then a lot of people come with home with PTSD and don't know how to cope with it. So it's very interesting, but also just like the rise in, in mental health issues due to, you know, like COVID, mm -hmm. um, was a big instigator. Um, people couldn't, um, relax and couldn't sit down. Um, like, uh, and unfortunately Melbourne had one of the highest suicide rates, um, in Australia during like 2020 and 2021, like it just had an exorbitant amount of people, um, who unfortunately passed away. Um, uh, like how how was that for you in terms of the pandemic as well? Like, do you, did you cope okay with during that whole um, debacle? Yeah, it was kind of um, surprising to me at how easy I found the lockdowns. But then it was kind of also eye opening that I found them so easy, and I realized kind of like how small I'd made my world already. Yeah, um, which was quite scary actually when I came to that realisation that, you know, that this lockdown didn't feel any different to my normal day-to-day -day life. Oh, really? And it kind of was like a bit eye-opening for me being like, what am I doing? Yeah. Because <laughs> um, did you did you kind of like now, now that everything's kind of opened up a bit more, do you feel like you do more with your day-to-days than you used to? Yeah, I feel like I do a little bit more. I mean, not <laughs> like huge leaps and bounds, but I try to check in a little bit more now yeah. just to make sure I'm not kind of sliding back into that. Yeah. Cause like, are you someone who suffered from mental health a lot growing up or are you pretty good with your own mental health? Um, oh, it's a tricky question. Cause, um, right now, um, like I'm going through a lot, you know, regarding mental health wise, um, and getting the help that I need for, you know, things. Um, 
and it's just a, it's so hard to like pinpoint like where did it begin like how did I get to this yeah. place has it always been with me and it's just taken x y and z for it to come to the surface or you know because I know that um there's a few members of my family who struggle with mental health I'm like is it was it something that you know I was born with and is in me inherently and just needed the right circumstances to come up or is it just through certain events that have happened you know um so yeah it's, it's such a tricky question for me to answer like right now <laughs> I mean <laughs> I totally, I totally can get that. Um, I mean, you know, I say that anything can be circumstantial. Um, a lot of it is kind of a mixture of circumstance and genetic. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, you know, uh, one of the one of the prime things that I say to people is like a lot of my anxiety um, is kind of a little bit genetic and a little bit like, you know, uh, you know, circumstantial. It, it kind of like you can train your brain to kind of cope better with things, but I definitely know some people who just can't, like they're, they're beyond the capacity that they can kind of cope with any things. It's like if they, they have triggers and then suddenly it's like, you know, a no-go zone or, you know, like anything like that, which I, I feel like, you know, is a bit difficult when you're trying to help people and, you know, and really sort of like, because, um, yeah, like mental health isn't isn't clear it's not, you know, it's not a kind of clear cut, um, cookie cutter kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, and especially because people feel like it should present in a certain way. Yeah, it also makes it really difficult. Um, yeah, I, I, I think that's one of the issues I face because it's, it's like, you, you know, because a lot of the time with mental health, it's kind of inward stuff, mm. um, and it's not actually seen until it becomes like quite an issue. Um, so it's trying to like work out you know, is what I'm going through, is this something I need to seek help for now? Is it at a point in which I will be validated if I go and ask for help or do I have to wait until it gets a little bit worse before I can actually ask for the help I need? Yeah. I think it's also like you have, um, this, it, I hate, uh, you know, like I know people hate it, but, you know, I think it's very true, but I think you kind of um, go through different help systems throughout your entire life and whether, you know, like. Um, you know, one of the things that my partner and I, we chatted about, we were talking about like maybe something that was quite beneficial in the future is doing couples counseling, just, you know, to kind of, you know, it not to be a taboo, but maybe like once every couple of months go and do something like that, you know, and um, kind of just create that sort of safe space where you can do therapy with your partner um, and chat about the things that kind of make you feel off um, in a, in, in a safe and professional environment. Um, which I, <laughs> I, I think it's great because, you know, there are all these avenues, but I do think that people, we do stigmatize a lot of mental health systems where we're like, oh, you have to be at your worst mm-hmm. to go there. And I was like, well, that's not true. Like, um, I think anyone who is feeling a bit down, go and, you know, go and talk to your doctor, go and, go and like, you know, I remember once I called Lifeline and it was like, I was just feeling um, pretty rubbish and, you know, um, it was just after a breakup and everything. And I remember calling them and they were just like, are you safe? And I was like, yep. And uh, like, he just listened and chatted me through stuff. And uh, I was like, well, I feel validated and heard. Mm-hmm. And this person has clearly done their job. Um, so I don't feel kind of as alone in that, in that grand scheme of things. Um, and I think sometimes it's just voicing your opinion. It's voicing your opinion on 
um, to someone and, and, and to anyone really. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, are you the same though? Are you very good at, you know, because you talk about yourself being a silent type. Yeah. How does that work for your own, like, processing? (laughs) Yeah, I find it really hard, like, talking about myself. (laughs) Like, incredibly difficult. It's one of the worst things I have to do. So, yeah, like, having to talk about things I struggle with. Yeah, because <laughs> I'm like, I'm smart enough. I should be able to work this out on my own. I shouldn't have to need someone else to help me. Yeah. Sort of thing. Is that, do you think that's because you grew up with like um, four four brothers or do you think that's just kind of who you were always and you kind of like? Yeah, I think um, kind of both. I, I feel like that maybe it's just who I am. Mm. Um, but I think also is that my parents raised us to be very independent from a very early age because I right. guess with the military, um, when you get deployed overseas and things like that, there's no guarantee you're going to come back home. So it's working out if, you know, mum and dad are no longer around, they needed to make sure that we could take care of ourselves. Yeah. So we kind of learned, yeah, from a very young age, we need to be independent. We need to know how to work things out on our own just in case. Interesting. Yeah. Because you know, I can automatically like... I, and I think that's, you know, self-preservation is great. Don't get me wrong. I think self-preservation is great. But I also think that you can't, I, I'm of the mentality of you can't just kind of soldier through life. Yeah. not you know, <laughs> Yeah, which is not what I'm slowly trying to learn. <laughs> I'm at the very beginning stages of trying to undo that sort of uh, mental framework. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, look, and kudos to you actually, like, because I, I know, I, I know plenty of friends who have had their entire lives where they're just like, nah, I can sort it out myself. And, you know, that's, that's the way I, I live. And I think, um, like my partner and I, we do, we do similar stuff. Like, um, I think, you know, my childhood in particular was very much, um, you know, you, you kind of bite the lip and you kind of just deal with it and I remember like you know and I don't think my parents kind of intentionally did that but it was very much like things that my mother would say where it was just like oh you wear your heart on your sleeve you know maybe you should show less emotion and cover it comes (laughs) like things like that and I and I thought you know the older I got the more emotion and um and I I think that also comes down to like I'm neurodiverse so Mm -hmm. like I have attention deficit hyperactivity disorder and that kind of in its own right means that my emotions are less regulated and less hidden than most people so I can't hide them as easily Mm. um but that is a blessing in some ways and a curse in others like it can be great and it can be a a nightmare and I think the best times is when you just kind of don't shy away from half of what you're feeling and whether that like you know pisses people (laughs) off or anything like that which does happen um it it kind of just means you can kind of go into this direction of like being like, okay, well, the guard's up, you know. Um, but like, it's interesting as well because my brother is very much like doesn't doesn't like talking about emotions and stuff like that. He is the complete opposite of me, where I would now sit down and be like, oh, you know, this this is what's stressing me, and this is like, you know, I'll tell a random stranger, <laughs> <laughs> like you mean like. This is the worst day I'm having and, uh, you know, this is like, you know, this is like what's happening in my life and everything. And they're just like, I don't know who you are. <laughs> but my brother, not in a million years, um, will go, oh, no, I'm, I'm okay. Mm-hmm. Cool. Like, how? why? Like, let's talk about this. No, I'm good. 
like why are you very much that person like with with charlie are you very you two very good at talking to each other about stuff oh we're actually quite good at communicating with each other um Mm. i guess i find it a lot easier just being able to say what i want around charlie for the most part i mean you know, I mean, we've been together for so long, so it's been like yeah. sort of, you know, quite a journey to get to that point of feeling comfortable enough to kind of say what's on our mind. But at the same time, I still do struggle with like, oh, if I say this, how is he going to react or yeah. is he going to stop whatever he's doing in order to help me? And I don't want him to do that, but I know he will. So I need to kind of keep it to myself because else it's going to affect what he wants to do sort of thing. So yeah <laughs> god so much of that sounded like my partner it's like yeah. okay oh, <laughs> there's like 101 when you when, when you've been with someone and you're just like nah just let me in mm-hmm. just let me help mm-hmm. like for two minutes even if it's like gonna interrupt something like i'm happy to help um because will he drop everything to help he you? would and that's always something i have to remember too is that i don't want him to have to do that and so that's why sometimes oh. it does get difficult to say how I'm feeling because I don't want him to do that, but he will, like, because that's his nature. <laughs> that's so sweet. Yeah. He's, <laughs> like, it's, it's, I can see why you two are so well suited, but also, like, <laughs> I can see how it drives you both probably a bit batty. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's like, let me help you. And I'm like, no, I've got it. Because, <laughs> like, like, yeah, that's nuts. I mean, like, I, I get, you know, because it's interesting that you say you both your parents went into military, um, were in the military, because I can see that in you as well. Like, that is sort of very much, like, um, everything is to a plan and everything's very to schedule. And, and are you a big planner? Um. Oh. Kind of, yes, but it's more because I always need to be aware of all the consequences of any action I take. So it's not like planning to be prepared. It's more like, fuck, what can go wrong? And I need to know what to do if it goes wrong. God. So what's your worst, like, what's the worst thing that's gone wrong for you? Ooh, tough one. Nothing comes to mind straight away because it kind of feels like it's my constant state, (laughs) you know? If I go and do this now, what does this mean later on in the day or tomorrow or, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, and yeah. then when I add Charlie to the mix, I'm like, oh, well, if I go and do this, then what are the consequences for him or, you know, what he's planning? And so it's like, uh. oh my God, <laughs> so much. To, so much I know, to I know how it there. sounds. And I'm like, I know when I tell people this, they're just like, what? Just don't just stop doing it. I'm like, I can't help it. <laughs> no. And I totally, I totally can relate as well. Cause I think that's like, it's basic 101 as well. Like you just kind of like deal, you know, you deal with things in your own and I, I'm the same. It's like, Oh, what could go wrong? Mm-hmm. And I think like I do, you know, I'm such an impulsive person as well, which, you know, and, and so is my partner, but it's sort of like, I, I think the one thing we were watching, we were watching something recently and I love planning, but as an impulsive per- person, I like planning and keeping to my own structure mm-hmm. And because of the way my brain is wired, if anything changes within that structure, um, it kind of freaks me out. It makes me go, oh, God, everything's going to fall apart yeah. and die. And um, I remember, like, Emily, my partner, um, she, she looked at stuff with me and we finally watched a video together and she was like, this makes more sense about, like, how your brain works because the the assumptions you get about ADHD in, like, in, in particular is, like, 
that um, you're chaotic all the time. Mm -hmm. Like it's just part of your constant nature. And I'm like, it's actually not. It's like you're hyper-focused and you're kind of like focusing deeply on stuff. And then any spanner that throws into that, you're kind of like, oh God, this is the worst thing that could ever happen. And you know, like everything's got to crash and burn. Mm -hmm. So I think it's very interesting because she's also like very chaotic. And so I get stressed when she starts becoming chaotic. I'm like, no, there's two of us. Um, but it's like the best kind because like we have these long-term plans, but also like I'll find out some days she'll have changed like a five short-term plans and be like, oh, we're doing this now and we're going to do this. And I'm like, okay, so can we have five? So I can, my brain could at least catch up to where we're at now. Um because, yeah, like, I think I we had a conversation recently where we, we fostered a friend's dog and it was, like, the best – it was the best three weeks. We sort of, like, babysat their dog for three weeks and it was so cute. But um, we ended up, like, I remember telling her, I was like, I don't think I actually had a say in the decision <laughs> of fostering this dog. I think it was just collectively decided for us by you, which is fine, but I'd just like you to acknowledge that <laughs> I didn't have this say. <laughs> Um, so there's a lot of that, which is, I think, I think kind of the fun of our house, but uh, yeah, I think, I think a lot of the stress comes from like not being able to control everything mm -hmm. and just kind of being okay with that. You've got to kind of like compartmentalize and be like, that's fine. Um, you know, nothing's always going to be perfect and pristine. Like, are you a very pristine person? Um, no, that's the thing. It's like, um, I think it, it it's like the creative, like when I get into a space, even with my studies or when I'm working on a script or something, it's like manic, like <laughs> there's stuff everywhere and I, I just I just need to get this done and then I can focus on other things. Mm. Um, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, you can always kind of tell where – and I think it might be because I've grown up in like a big family in that you've got to like kind of mark your space and so <laughs> – I don't need to do that anymore, but it's kind of like you can tell when I've been in a room because I've got my stuff everywhere. It's like, you know, <laughs> if my stuff's spread out, that means no one else can use that space. <laughs> and I know oh I do it, God. but I don't, I can't like stop myself from doing it either. So I'll be like sitting at a cinema or something and I'm taking up three chairs with all my stuff. <laughs> oh my God. You're one of those people. I, uh, okay. Yeah. I love it. I love it. But you're. I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> Rhiannon, what are you doing? <laughs> I know. <laughs> oh, I'm hopeless. I'm hopeless. <laughs> <laughs> Not at all. Not at all. I mean, you're, you know, I think also, with you know, because you clearly, <laughs> if you were hopeless, you wouldn't have a career. Mm -hmm. Like, you wouldn't be doing all this stuff. But, like, I feel like also you're a very chaotic person. A little bit, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I do, like, I have this thing where... <laughs> I like, I still want things to have a place and they need to have a place. <laughs> like, and I get so frustrated when I go to grab whatever it is I need and it's not there. And I'm like, Charlie, where is it? Oh no. Because <laughs> I get so frantic that I just need things to be where they're supposed to be while I'm in the creative sort of space. So I mean, I like personal spaces are always a mess, but everywhere else I kind of like things to be where they're supposed to be. Too. Mm, yeah. yeah. <laughs> God, your house must be so interesting. <laughs> Just a little. <laughs> <laughs> Do you like, does Charlie have like a small corner where he's like, this is. 
this is where I can I can live <laughs> and nothing will be touched here. Uh, no, um, I do take his like stuff into consideration and most of the time because he'll move things or do things, I'll be like, you just pick a spot. Like I don't care where it is as long as wherever it is, that's the spot for that thing. Like it doesn't have to be where I pick. I'm like, you can pick the spot. Just don't deviate from that spot. <laughs> My God. So he can choose wherever he wants to put things as long as they stay where he decides to put them. <laughs> oh my God. Because how long how long have you two now been living together? Um, oh, what is it? I think eleven years now. So you're very he's very used to this now. Yes. This chaotic energy. Yeah. yeah. How old how old were you two when you um first met? Um, so I was twenty one, which means he would have been twenty five. It's babies. Yep. Yep. Babies, <laughs> babies in life. Now you're like, yeah. now you're in your thirties, and you're like, oh well, what do we do now? They're like, what have we done? What have we done? <laughs> You've committed. This is that's the thing as well. Like, and, and taking it back to acting, do people still think you're in your twenties? Oh God, I get it all the time. It's so frustrating. Well, I love that I'm I'm seen as younger. Uh, what frustrates me is when I get sent for castings when they're like they're looking for someone between 30 and 45 and I've been submitted for it. I'm like, I'm, I don't look 30 to 45. Can you stop submitting things with my age? Like, you know, I fit in that bracket age wise, but not look wise. And I'm yeah. just, I'm like, it's just wasting my time. I walk in there and you can see on their faces that they're like, yeah, no. Yeah. <laughs> and cause I would say you look about like between the age of 26 to like 34, you could probably pull yes. off. Awesome. Yeah, I'm getting there slowly but surely. Yeah. I mean, like, I I just turned 30 and I think that still people think I'm 21. I'm like, no, no. I think it's like at the moment you kind of like, I, I don't feel in my 20s anymore. I feel definitely in my 30s. Um, but, you know, like, yeah, some people just kind of like go and look at people and go, God, you're really young. Like, um, Emily gets like being 18 mm -hmm. or 17 a lot, even though she's mid-20s now and, you know. Um, it's just, yeah, it's bizarre. It's a very bizarre like thing. Like, you know, how do people look at Charlie and go, oh, he's probably like early thirties. Yeah. He's, he, he does look younger than his age as well. Um, so it was always interesting, like when people at work, um, well, customers would come in and they'd hear that I was getting married and they'd be like, oh my God, you're too young to get married. And I was like, oh, what age should someone get married? And they'd pick an age and I'm like, well, I'm older than that. <laughs> That's it's like a mic drop. I am older than all those ages. <laughs> I knew I knew people who got married at the age of twenty one. Mm -hmm. So you know, like I wouldn't. I would have never thought about getting married before I was thirty. You know, just the idea. Um, but it, you know, like I still get that because um, we we've been, you know, my um, Emily and I have been talking about it. Um, the idea of us getting married one day and, and like, I remember mentioning it to a couple of friends and they're like, oh, but you know, are you sure, you know, are you sure? Like, you're really young. And I'm like, I'm not that young. Like I am 30 and it doesn't feel like I'm going to get any younger. <laughs> <Yeah. So> <laughs> like that's the mentality, but you know, people, I don't, I, I think like, you know, marriage, marriage is also one of those things like, you know, that I do agree with you. It's just people do look at us at ages and they go, yep, mm -hmm. you have to be of a certain age, especially, you know, because I don't, I don't know if it happens for you. Um, but I remember like, I have this ring, which I uh, would occasionally wear on my, um, 
ring finger or, or something like that. But I remember when I was in my early 20s, people were like, oh, you engaged, are you married? And I was like, no, mm-hmm. no. But that was one of the things because it just fit on that finger and it was the only finger it fitted on. And um, and I, it just makes me laugh now. But did did people like have this kind of like, even even before you met Charlie, did did people kind of go to you, oh, you're definitely going to get married and that's like, you know, one day? I don't know, actually. Um, I guess maybe my parents would have figured that I would be one to get married and settle down and whatnot because um, I'm the responsible one and that's what responsible, responsible people do. <laughs> oh, is it? I don't know. <laughs> um, but I don't know about anyone else really. I mean, like, do you, do you, are you generally like when you go to sets as well and when you're on film sets, are you generally like one of the oldest there? Out of out of the cast, are you? Um, yeah, I have found that in the last few stuff that I've done that I'm actually a fair bit older, um, <laughs> and I can only gauge that with like, um, um, like what people are into. Like, I remember Rocky up to one set, um, and. I feel old when I say, but kids, <laughs> like, you know, they're in their mid-20s or something, early 20s or whatever, um, and they all had, like, they like between takes and stuff, they'd all sit down and take out their Nintendo Switches and we're playing against each other. I'm just like, and I've got books in my bag to read. And I was like, holy dooly. <laughs> like, oh, dear I felt, God. Yeah, I felt my age that day. I was like, wow. Even though I kind of looked the same age, I definitely. Yeah was not the same age. I mean, does that does that make it awkward as well? Like, I, I don't know how it is for you, but when you ever have to do anything intimate or anything, like, have you ever had to be intimate with someone who was considerably younger than you in a film? Um, not really, no. I haven't quite had to deal with that just yet. <laughs> that's a, that's a, like, do you think the day will come and you will just be like, oh, no? Uh, I imagine it would come, but I'm not sure if it would bother me too much. I mean, it just depends on who the other person is, I guess. Yeah. Um, <laughs> as long as I don't look like I'm way older, then I'm fine. <laughs> you have to be in the same sort of like age range. Like, yeah. <laughs> you have to feel like you're safe. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. I mean, do people kind of go to you now? Do they go and try and put you in the mother category? Not yet. No. No. I'm like, I could well and truly age-wise fit that category, but... No, I never look old enough to, again, I'll rock up to those auditions and they're like, no. And I'm like, yeah, I didn't think so. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, like one of my coworkers, he's 40 um, now and he does not look it. Mm-hmm. He has never looked 40. He still looks like 20 something. And I'm like, how? And it's because, um, yeah, he's just got really good genes in him and he is just very like doesn't age particularly. Like my... um. Like same with one of my coworkers, he's like um, late fifties and kind of looks like you know if he shaved his beard off and stuff, he'd look like late forties. You know, he kind of gets away with that kind of attitude, and you know, whereas some people I know who are in their mid fifties look way older, and I'm like, you look like you're sixty five, seventy. Like it makes no sense, but you know, like I, I mean, like hang on to the youth as much as you can because I honestly, some of your pictures still make you look like you're 21. Yes, because <laughs> because the one I posted up the other night, I was like, 
you look like you're early 20s. I'm like, you look like a baby in it. Yeah, I'm definitely be holding on to it for as long as possible. I mean, I don't mind when people think I'm younger. It doesn't bother me at all. I'm like, yeah. you know, it gives me a few more years in my career. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, that would have, you know, because you, you talk about doing acting as well very seriously in the last, like, uh, you know, did you feel like you attacked acting very late in life or did you feel like you just attacked it when you were ready? Um, I guess when I was ready because I didn't have a single thought about the acting stuff until, you know, that single moment in the lounge room when I was decided, oh, yeah, that's something I could do. Yeah. Yeah, I felt a little bit behind the ball, though, when I first started out and, you know, you'd go to class and these people had been acting since they were five years old and whatnot. And I'm like, oh, what am I actually doing here? Like, is this actually something I can do at this age starting out. But, um, you know, a few years into it, it didn't bother me anymore. And now and now you're kind of like a bit m- more like prolific because I feel like, pe- a, you know, a lot more people know about you than, you know, um, you know, because you kind of have a bit of a prominent um, stance on social media at least um, with, you know, in terms of what you do and, you know, and who you are as a creative, it's, you know, you kind of do have a face that people do recognize. Do you think you agree with that? Oh, jeez. I don't know. I really don't know. <laughs> Throwing you curveballs. Throwing you curveball questions. <laughs> no, it's one of these things that I always, and my husband hates it, but I always underrate myself. You know what I mean? I always kind of, mm. um, like there'll be roles that I'll go, oh, no, I couldn't do that. And he'd be like, yes, you can. I'm like, no, they, they've they asked for this and I can't quite do that. He's like, yes, you can. <laughs> Oh, bless. <laughs> so, yeah, it's really hard for me to gauge whether or not, you know, I have any sort of following or if people would recognize me or, yeah, it's it's very hard for me to, like, see it from that perspective. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, like, what what are, what are the things, what are the roles you really want to do over the next few years? What are the roles that you particularly want to jump at the chance at? Oh, basically, I would love to do any role that requires you to learn something before you start the job. Really? You know, so again, like with the martial arts that I do, the whole idea of you have to go into training and you have to, you know. Yeah. Like anything, and it doesn't have to just be martial arts, it could be anything, any skill that I could learn in order to do that role. Those are my dream jobs. Really? So is that like language or, or just in yeah, general? language, accents, you know, martial arts, horse riding, whatever. As long as it's something I can learn and I am required to learn in order to do a role, I would just... That would be my dream roles right there. Wow. Yeah. I hope you get something like that because that would be that would be awesome. Um, but I mean, like that's a that not everyone has that like challenge. They're just they have particular genres or stuff. That's so cool. Like, I think um, what would be an accent you want to challenge yourself at? I wouldn't mind at some point, but okay. I'll have this hate relationship with the standard American and I know I have to learn it because, you know, there's so many jobs <laughs> that I miss out on because I don't have a standard American. Um, I just just find it frustrating in Australia having to have a standard American accent to get jobs. I understand if I'm over in the yeah. US, fine, like, you know, but it just drives me insane the number of things here in our own country that you require the standard American for. So one day, yes, I will have to learn that, but I kind of like dig my heels in whenever the topic comes up. <laughs> I don't blame you. What about what, like, 
Because your your mom grew um, grew up in Wales, Mm -hmm. like what about Welsh accent? Do you think you could nail that down? At some point, yeah. I mean, I've got like these accent books um, which have like Welsh and New Zealand and Russian and Germany and like, you know, um, and I think, I mean, don't ask me to do any of them right now, um, but it's kind of one of those things where they have a distinct lyrical melody to them, whereas because Standard American is everywhere and you hear it everywhere, I struggle to hear the melody of Standard American, so I can never nail it. I can't. Interesting. Yeah, when it's an accent that's foreign, I can hear the changes and I can, like, pick it up quite quickly. Yeah, I... Uh... It's interesting that because, like, I know some people who just can't, um, like, they can mimic, Mm -hmm. they can do everything from mimicking, or they just can't hear any accent at all. Like, they think everything sounds standardized and, um, yeah, like, I don't know. That's, like, do you find that annoying? Yeah. I mean, it was like, I was watching this film with my husband um, last week and, like, it had Australian actors in it. But then I was listening to it and I could not tell. And I had to ask my husband, I'm like, are they speaking with a standard American accent or an Australian accent? I couldn't actually tell. I was just like, because it felt like an American styled film, but they were Australian actors. And I was just like, I don't know because it's everywhere. Like I hear Australian everywhere and I also hear, you know, the standard American everywhere and everything you watch. So I was like, oh my God. I can't actually tell if, you know, <laughs> what accent yeah. they're speaking with because they're not speaking with like a what you would typically, <laughs> when you watch Australian films, that, that Australian accent. Quotation marks, yeah. <laughs> Which I would actually love to learn one day is that kind of country, boganishy sort of Australian accent. I would love to learn that kind of, you know, um, but yeah, it was just like this frustrating thing and I couldn't work it out. I was listening for the R's being hit and I just couldn't tell. Was that being hit hard enough to be American or is that the Australian lazy R? I can't tell. <laughs> oh my God. That's so annoying. Like that's that's really kind of like dig your teeth into kind of annoying. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, like I, is it the same as like if you had an Irish accent, Scottish accent or Welsh accent, would you be able to tell the difference or would you kind of like blend that into one? I feel like with those I could tell the difference. Um, I guess it would be like, you know, countries surrounding, surrounding borders kind of end up getting a bit of a mix of accents. So I would definitely struggle with those. But it's like even in America when you've got like the southern accent, I love the sound of the kind of, Texas accent and the Southern accent. I just can't stand the standard American. (laughs) (laughs) You're like, oh, dear God. I know. Yeah. Just, you know, (laughs) come on. like You can do it. I I think it's also, yeah, I agree with you in terms of like it's overly used in Australia Mm -hmm. and and it's it's mostly to sell the product over in the US. And like, why don't we just have an Australian accent? We're in Australia. Just keep the accent here do you when you're playing Australian characters though do you have to kind of put more effort into your own accent as well to kind of make it sound you know a certain way not really I kind of just allow the characters to speak for themselves so sometimes it does come out in a slightly different style of speaking to what I usually do Um, but I kind of just let the language of the script and the characters themselves kind of dictate what comes out I don't try to 
um, like filter that at all. Oh, that's good. You're very, <laughs> you're very dictated on. I mean, like, do you, in terms of like, you know, the films that you have done though, um, where like, are there any act- like, are there any things that you particularly felt like were the best kind of challenge for you? I guess like the last film that my husband and I wrote and directed and put together was probably one of the um, most difficult because it was the first time I'd actually helped to write something Um, and it took me a year to do it, to write it um, because I'm so obsessed about making sure the language is right and that everything makes sense and everything ties together at the end. And because it was one of those psychological thrillers, you've got to make sure that the hints are there as to what it's going to lead to, but without giving it away. Um, So that if someone was to go back and watch, they'd be like, oh, I should have known from the beginning that that was going to happen, you know, if they were clued in. Mm. Um, So I've struggled a lot with that because I just wanted to be an actor for that script. Um, but I found myself having to jump in a lot of other roles um, when it came to shooting it. And a lot of the time when you're doing someone else's work, you can kind of hide behind their scripts and just be like, well, mm. this is what I was given and this is what I did with it. But I couldn't hide behind this one because I'd helped to write it. So it was, I wasn't just, mm. I wasn't just um, like, you know, it's always difficult watching your work back and people are going to judge you on you know, your acting ability, but I also wrote it. So it's like yeah, there's an extra layer of judgment. Like if, if someone didn't like the way it was written or how, you know, the story, then, you know, that was on me as well. Yeah. I like your, your own worst critic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Are you going to sit, like, do you sit down and watch that film now and just go and judge it harshly or? No, I mean, it's kind of. With anything I do, there's kind of a process I have to take before I can watch it. So I would never watch something straight away. I can't do it. I need some time and space away from it. Um, and then when I watch it for the first time, I have to watch it without sound. I need to just watch because <laughs> it's too much having to see and hear myself. <laughs> oh, wow. So I need to just watch it first. And then be like, and take a little yeah. break and then watch it again with the sound on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's dedication. Oh, I just hate it. Like it's too much having to watch and hear myself at the same time. It's just too much judgment, in a judgment happening. I'm like, okay. <laughs> does, does Charlie just watch them straight away and go, that was good, that was bad? Yeah, because it's, it's like he gets the easy job. Like he's not like, because I keep telling him, I'm the, pe- I'm the person people see. So if it looks bad or sounds bad, they're going to, yeah, unless you're like an actor or or a filmmaker and you know the industry, um, when people from outside (laughs) watch stuff, um, they're not really quite aware of so much like bad editing or bad sound or, you know, bad storytelling. They just see the actor and they feel something is off and they automatically be like, that's a bad actor. Like, they think you are the problem. I mean, sometimes it is. Sometimes you are the problem. But <laughs> a lot of the times it's got nothing to do with you. And that's why I keep telling Charlie. I'm like, yeah. Yeah. Because he's like, it's fine. I'm like, yeah, but you're not the one people see. Like, I need to make sure. 
that anything, you know, within a film, especially when we do stuff together, yeah, is good <laughs> because it's my image up there. Best kind of husband, though. He's a, he's a moral support right there. He might not be, like, realistic, but he's like, oh, yeah. But, you know, like... It's good. <laughs> no, he was he's fantastic. Like in the last film we did together, um, because I had an experience where I was on a film set and I like watched the footage back and it was so annoying because I had like this piece of hair sticking up and I was like, why did no one pat that down? Like that's all I could see when I was watching it back. I was mm. like, why did no one pat that down? <laughs> and so I remember before we started like shooting, I was like, you're on hair and makeup if you see something. <laughs> please let hair and makeup know. <laughs> and it was great because, yeah, he did like, there was like a, like my makeup had rubbed off my nose at one point. And so like he finished the take and then he got makeup to come in and like, you know, reapply before we did the next take so that we had something I could use. And I didn't have like this big red nose up on screen. <laughs> oh, cute. I mean, like, did, did you self-fund that short film or how did you, like, how do you go about creating your own content? Yeah, so we just do it from self-funding because, you know, I'm not really good at doing the whole um, Kickstarter stuff. Um, it makes me quite uncomfortable asking people for money. Um, so, yeah, it's like when we write a film, we kind of write it in a way that we're like, well, can we actually do this feasibly? Can we actually afford to do what we want to do? Um, and then, you know, we save for a little bit before we go into production and then, yeah, um, so yeah, it's all self-funded at this point anyway. Are you hoping one day that someone invests? Um, kind of, I know that Charlie would really love it if, you know, um, because I guess that would say that his work is good, that the stuff he produces is good. Yeah. Um, so I think it's more from rather than the money side, it's just the acknowledgement, like someone is willing to invest in it because they think what you do is fantastic. Yeah. That's a, that, that's the dream. It, like, it, you know, because you, you obviously both, you know, like do odd ends, other jobs as well. Like, is that something that people kind of like, you know, don't talk about? Or is like, do you find you're very open about doing odds, odd bits and pieces there and then as a creative? Uh, yeah, it doesn't really bother me too much. I mean, people ask what I do and I just, whatever I'm doing that time, I just yeah. tell them. Like at the moment I caption videos. So. Oh, cool. Which is really great because it means I have all this flexibility about my hours and when I want to work. Yeah, it doesn't really bother me. Like even when I worked in fast food, I'm never embarrassed by the jobs I work in. I'm just like, well, this is where the money comes from. This is what allows me to do the things I want to do. I know. And it's like, you know, it pays for the bills. It pays pays to live and it pays to function. Yeah. <laughs> Which is, you know, like that's the hard thing of just like when you don't realize like that that is the side of creative like a lifestyle that you're always going to have an odd end job to kind of finance or like, you know, help make stuff that your content goes up mm -hmm. and people watch it. And then hopefully one day you get millions of dollars that someone yeah. wants to invest. <laughs> but, you know, we're realistic. We never expect that to happen. It's just, yeah. <laughs> it's Look, it's a nice dream. It's a nice, it, it helps us sleep at night. Um, before we do wrap up though, and I, I do want to speak about, um, just a little bit about like, uh, how you, you do, I guess your future endeavors and, and the future, where, where do you see yourself kind of going towards in the future of things and, and in terms of your life? I guess 
just continuing to create my own work and making sure that each one, each piece of work has a specific goal um, in mind. So like our next project um, is to do about the issues of being, you know, um, a woman who who's not a mother but, um, you know, mm. <laughs> um and the the issues surrounding that. So, you know, we touch on things like abortion in it um, and we also touch on the mental health side of things and and try to highlight stuff, that, you know, that these choices aren't necessarily easy. Yeah. You know, it's, it's not like, oh, this is what I've decided and I'm happy with it. It comes with struggles. Um, and so, yeah, just making sure that each piece that we do, like, at least looks at something important you know, that's going on. Yeah, I feel like that's super important. Do you feel like that, you know, that's something you want to bring to people's public attention as well as being, you know, being a woman in this society? Do you feel like you want to really kind of, you know, push kind of like female perspective into what you create? Yeah, it's definitely something that um, I'm quite passionate about um, because um, there is a lot of issues, again, going back to my linguistics, um, there is a lot of issues in language being very patriarchal and and we need to start developing scripts that are written um, without that through line in them and it's really difficult because people don't realise that the way they write kind of, yeah. it just perpetuates this patriarchal system that we have and so... Yeah, for me, it's really important to make sure, you know, that the writing is from a woman's perspective Um, and also, you know, making sure that you've got the equality on set, you know, that making sure that you have women in leading roles, you have women who are behind the camera editing, you know, like trying to push that. Yeah, which I imagine can be quite... A challenge. Mm-hmm. No, but I, I like I commend I commend you wholeheartedly. That's something that I believe is very much an, a, a something I try to sort of project into my work as well. Is just is more diverse um, diversity and and everything in terms of just having more females on set in technical roles and you know in in front and behind the camera that just you know don't always get the opportunities to and kind of creating creating a more equal workspace. That's like fair and just rather than just kind of like obviously a big boys club. Yeah. <laughs> which, you know, the industry is very much known for. Um, but yeah, like that, that sounds awesome. I really, I really, I can't wait to see what you create. Honestly, I think it's going to, I think everything you're going to do is going to be fab. Oh, thanks. <laughs> um. But before we do go, I want I want you to tell everyone on the internet where they can find you and where they can stalk you. Oh, absolutely. Okay. So I'm on Instagram. So you just put in, I'm sure Martin will have it written somewhere so you don't have to <laughs> work out how to spell my name. So it's just, yeah, at Rhiannon Langeberg. Um, and yeah, it's the same thing on Facebook. So yeah, that's where you can find me. <laughs> go, and, go and stalk her. Yeah. Um, <laughs> she's fantastic. Go, go and stalk her. Again. It's, it's, it's great, Val. <laughs> Go and go and see her kick people and 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 punch boxes. That's it's right. Like, yeah, it's it's well worth it. Um, <laughs> but no, Rihanna, it's been an absolute pleasure chatting to you. I've really loved every moment. Um, 
And yeah, no, thank you. Thank you so much for joining me. Oh, no, thank you for having me, Martin. No worries. If you want to go and check out more episodes of The Things We Do, you can check them out on Apple, Spotify. I'll be speaking with another guest next week and I'll speak to you all later. Goodbye. Goodbye.